So you didn't know you came to church for geography, did you? So we always talk about nations of the world, so I'm going to ask you a hard question. When you read your Bible about the people of Israel crossing what sea? Sea. So they're crossing that Red Sea. And if you cross, yes, young man. Young man in the back. Uh, but Sue, my source of saying asked me a question one day. I want to talk to you about it. All right. He said, is anybody ever walked on the water? Huh. There was one person that walked on the water. Amen. Right? Yeah. And you both know who it is. Yeah. So my question is, what Bible verse is he going About Jesus walking on the water? Yeah. It's several different places. So you can actually find that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where he walked on the water. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah. Well, I'll find it for you. Okay. All right. Well, the Israelites, they didn't walk on the water. They walked right through the sea because God parted it. But when you get to the other side, there's another country on that other side. So there's, there's your geography. What nation on the other side? There's a country that begins with Y. Yemen, he got it. Yemen, Y-E-M-E-N, Yemen. So we're talking about an unreached people today. Here's a picture of a guy. These people have never been reached with the gospel. Four and a half million. Uh, he's a member of this group called the Tihami. Can you say Tihami? Tihami. And they live right on the Red Sea, even to this day. Four and a half million. They live on this coastal region right on the Red Sea. They're exceptionally poor. Very few of them know how to read. Literacy is a huge problem. In some villages, there's very little schooling. The only thing they do is memorize a little bit of the Quran. And one prevalent tradition is almost all of them are addicts because they chew this leaf called Qat, Q-A-T, which is a narcotic leaf, chew it for hours, and this drug holds a grip on this whole nation, on this whole nation. The predominant culture centers around Islam, but they're really more interested in uh, the cultures, the traditions of their culture. They're extremely hospitable people, and they're very, very generous. That's a high value among them. They love to have hospitality and generosity. They have never been reached with the gospel. Four and a half million. Some of them are being recruited by Al-Qaeda to be terrorists. Please pray for these people from Yemen. 4.2 million, and they're called the Tehami. So maybe before we open up God's word, somebody will pray for the Tehami people. All right, who will pray for the Tehami? Amen. Or, you know, by some miracle, you know, maybe a, a prophet or something out of hmm. this area to help, you know, spread your word to these people. Amen. You know, the one and only word, the only true word. Hmm. And, um, you know, let them know about your Lord, you know, because, you know, the Quran is like nothing to literally what they yeah, Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And all God's people say? So I think this little fellow's kind of out of it. So we'll uh, uh, we'll do uh, children's, not really children's. We'll do the young people's. How many people are feeling young and hard? 
Everybody, everybody young and hard. Even if you, amen. So, so we're going we're gonna to do this for everybody. So I got a picture. It's kind of hard to be able to see. They might have to look up close in the back, a picture here. This is a structure uh, built about three, over 3,000 years ago. So that's over 3,000 years ago. Y'all see there? Built over 3,000 years ago. Anybody have any idea what that is? No, it's not the Taj Mahal. What? She already got it. See, she knows already. Say it loud. She knows what it is. Solomon's Temple. Yep, so that's actually a picture of Solomon's Temple, considered one of the greatest wonders of the world. So let me ask you a question. Built over 3,000 years ago, um, what was the purpose of that temple? Think about that. That's not as easy a question as you think. Why do you think they built that temple? Anybody have any idea? Well, certainly to praise God. So you remember in the Old Testament when they were traveling around in the wilderness, they didn't have a temple. What did they have? It was called a tabernacle. And the, and the holiest place of that tabernacle was called the holiest of holies. Do you remember what was in that room? The Ark of the Covenant. What was inside that ark? The Ten Commandments. So the commandments that Moses took down from the, uh, were in that box, in that box. And on the top of the box, they built cherubim angels. Why'd they do that? Why'd they put angels on the top of the box? No, because they wanted that to be the throne of where God sat. And God actually lived in that Holy of Holies in that place. And if you walked into that room, what would happen to you? You'd be struck dead instantly. The only person that could go in that room was the high priest, and he could only do it one day a year. Well, finally, they weren't wandering anymore. They were actually in Jerusalem. And so instead of having a tabernacle, Solomon built a what? He built this temple where God lived in that house, and he invited people to come to know him through that house. But there was actually another reason for that temple. Does anybody know? It was actually considered the most important reason for that temple. Anybody have any idea? Well, sacrifice certainly happened there. It certainly was the dwelling place of God, but what did it have to do with me or Joel or anybody? There actually was a primary purpose of that place. And I'm not going to tell you. We're going to have to use God's word to figure it out. All right? So if you have a Bible, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's word and we're going to figure out what the purpose of that temple was. Okay? We're going to figure it out. So let me pray first. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, the God of truth who loves sinners and who has the power to work in our heart, would you come, Father, come, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, speak your truth to our heart in a powerful way, and we ask in whose name? Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to actually start off by a little introduction before I tell you the Bible text, and that is I want to talk to you about Tuesday night, okay, about Tuesday night. Uh, this past Tuesday night at Maymandy Concert Hall, so there's a concert hall called Maymandy Concert Hall in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, from about 7 to 9 o'clock was a symphony. You know, that place was actually made for the North Carolina Symphony. There was a symphony of prayer. And about 1,700 people 
from over a hundred different churches got together in a concert hall for a symphony of prayer. You should have seen what that was like. Uh, if you think they knocked it out of the park uh, today, uh, Griffin, you should have seen Pastor uh, Joel and Sonia and other people leading worship on Tuesday night. They knocked it out of the ballpark, not because of them, but because the Holy Spirit was there. And the Father was there, and Jesus was there. It was actually called Prayer 2019. Now, they've been doing these concerts of prayer for about a decade. So about once a year, about 100 different churches, a couple thousand people get together in one place to seek the face of God and call on his name. And I've been to quite a few of them. But I have never been to one like what happened on Tuesday night. Uh, I think that what happened on Tuesday night was over a thousand times greater than any of the concerts of prayer we've ever had. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, what made that so remarkable? I actually believe that there were profound breakthroughs. I believe seeds were planted, and I believe that God began a work of spectacular miracles on Tuesday night. I really believe that. I know it. And I'm going to talk a little about, about what he did. He was actually planting seeds for the greatest awakening in the history of the world. There's going to be an awakening, the greatest awakening that's ever occurred, not just for Raleigh, but for the world. And we're going to see the power of Jesus, the power of the cross, and the power of his glory work all over this world in ways greater than it ever happened in history. And I believe part of what happened on Tuesday night was simply the planting of some seeds to make that happen. Now, what was the key? What is the key to the greatest awakening in history covering the whole world, including those people I just mentioned in Yemen, where we'll see the power of the cross, the power of the love of God, and we'll see God do such extraordinary works. You know what? Yeah, before, he's going to say, what is the key to this happening? And that's part of the question I asked you about the purpose of the temple. So what we want to do is turn all the way to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn all the way in the Old Testament to a chapter you probably never read in your life, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. All right. Now, can you imagine, I want you to actually talk to me about what you think God would do so they built this temple. I showed you this picture. Can you imagine if you were part of building that temple? And it took years to build it. Some people called it one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. And finally, guess what happened? They finished. They finished the temple. Now, what do you think you would do when the temple's finished? What if you'd been a part of building it? You say, we're building a house for God. We're building a house for God to live in. We're building it in our capital city, Jerusalem, and Solomon has been ordered to build it, and he finally finishes. What would you do if you had finished building something like that? What? He's exactly right. Didn't you love what Bob said? I agree with Bob. Go in there and what? Admire it. I agree with you, Bob. I believe you go in I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so we go in and admire it. 
Well, you know what they decided to do? They decided to have a dedication ceremony. Doesn't that make sense? You finish the building. It's one of the most awesome things in the world. You build a house for God to live in. And so they decide, you know what? We need to invite all the people in all of Israel to come to Jerusalem. We're going to have a party, and we're going to dedicate this building. So listen to what they did when they did that. So chapter 5, you actually get to the dedication ceremony. Listen. Everybody listen carefully. Thus... Verse 1, all the work that Solomon had performed for the house of the Lord was what? Finished. So Solomon then brought in the holy things of the Lord that his David father had dedicated. And in verse 2, Solomon assembled to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, the heads of all the tribes, and the leaders of all the families to take this ark that had the Ten Commandments in it, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which was in the city of David, and to bring that into the temple, into the holy place. They did. And all the men of Israel assembled to the king, and they were going to have a feast for seven days, seven-day party. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month. And so all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites, who were the only people who could touch the Ark, and they had to carry it with poles, otherwise it would kill them, they picked it up, and they brought it in the tent of meeting to the temple. And King Solomon and all the congregation who were assembled before him were sacrificing sheep and oxen. They couldn't even count the number. And aren't we glad now that we only need how many sacrifices? How many do you need? How many? One, the cross. Isn't that enough for you? And the cross enough for you? The priest brought the ark into its holy place into the inner holy of holies, into the holy place that God dwelt. They brought it in. Where the cherubim angels spread their wings over the place of that ark, and the poles were so long that the end of the poles could be seen outside, even as they are to this day when this was built. There was nothing in the ark except the two Ten Commandments that Moses got on Mount Sinai when God made a covenant with them. And when the priests came forth from the holy place, they were all present, and all the people who would sing were there in unison. Guess what they started to do? Not just admiring, but why do you think they got all those singers? To sing. That's probably something. You want to talk about some great singing? Verse 13, in unison. They were singing with trumpets and singers with united with one voice to praise and glorify the Lord. They lifted up their voice. There were trumpets, cymbals, instruments of music, and this is what they sang. What do you think they sang? They sang, indeed, God is what? Just like we sang, God is so good. That's exactly what they sang. God is good and his love lasts how long? Forever. That's what they sang. God is so good, and the love of his cross lasts forever and forever. And guess what happened? Right where they're singing, the glory cloud of God came. And God came into his house, and he filled the temple with his glory. Verse 14 the priest could not even stand to minister because the glory of God filled the house of God. And they couldn't even be there. You think that's a great ceremony? It's got people's attention. So you know what Solomon did then? Chapter 6. 
So then what Solomon did, they're singing, they're praising God, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. God shows up. God's glory enters the house. It's so awesome, people are just amazed. So Solomon did what any sensible person would do. Chapter 6, he what? He prayed. He prayed. Chapter 6, Solomon said, the Lord promised. Listen to what Solomon says. He wants to remind the people of the promise of God. So he says, the Lord promised he would live in the thick cloud. I have built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. So the king turned around and faced all the people of the assembly of Jerusalem, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and he has fulfilled and done what he promised he would do. He said, since the day I brought my people from the land of Egypt, I never chose a city for my people to dwell in. I never told them to build a house that I might be there. I didn't choose anyone to do that, but now I chose Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I chose David the king to be over my people. It was in the heart of my father David to build a house for God, but the Lord told my dad, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well, but you ain't building it. Now, if you're not going to build it, David, who's going to build it? His son, his son Solomon. Nevertheless, you can't build the house, David, but your son, who's going to be born to you, he's going to build my house for my name. And the Lord fulfilled his word, he spoke, for I rose in the place of my father David, and now I sit on the throne, just like the Lord promised, and I did exactly what God said. I have built the house for God. And I have set the ark with the Ten Commandments right where it's supposed to go. And then he stood before the altar in the presence of all this assembly, and guess what he had done? He had built a platform. It was about seven and a half feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, and about four and a half feet high. And he climbed up on the platform, and he walked onto that platform, or pl uh, that platform, and what did Solomon do? He got on his knees in front of all those people. And he said, now I'm going to pray. And this is what he said. He lifted his hands towards heaven and prayed, just like we did today. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or earth who keeps his promises and shows love to his servants who walk before you with all their heart. You kept with your servant David, my father, what you promised. You spoke with your mouth and you fulfilled it by my hand today. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep with David, my father, what you promised him saying that you wouldn't lack a man on the throne of Israel if your sons will take heed to walk in my ways. Now, therefore, let your word be confirmed which you spoke to your servant David. But will God dwell, verse 18, listen to what he says, does God dwell in a building? Isn't that a good question? Think about that for a minute. Solomon built a temple for God to live in, and now he's asking the question, how can I do that? Right? Because verse 18 he says, do you think the temple's big enough? you think that temple's big enough to hold God? That's what he says, verse 18. Can God dwell with mankind on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven aren't big enough to contain you. How much less this little house that I built? Yet would you have regard to the prayer of your servant and his supplication to listen to the cry that your servant prays before you? Now, verse 20, I'm going to stop for a minute because I want you to think about this for a minute. Okay. What's the key purpose of the temple? 
Okay, and I want you to listen as I read, okay? I want you to listen carefully. Because there's a main purpose of the temple listed in these verses, which prayer. people don't even talk about. Prayer. It's prayer. And not just prayer, a certain kind. I want you to listen. Listen to what Solomon says when he's dedicating this temple. He's talking about what you said, Nancy. He's talking about the fact that he's got some serious sin trouble. And so I want you to listen to his prayer. Verse 18, Have regard to the prayer of your people, O Lord my God, to listen. Listen to the cry and prayers which your servant are praying before you, that your eyes will be open toward this house day and night, toward this place where your name dwells, so that you will listen to the prayers that are cried out in this place. Listen to the prayers of your servant and your people when they pray. Hear from heaven when they cry to you. And what does he want God to do? What's the first thing he says? Verse 21. Forgive. We're sinners. Forgive. Listen verse 22. He says this over and over again. I want you to listen because he says it so many times. Listen carefully. He says, if a person sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before this altar in your house, hear from heaven, act and judge, because he knows that wicked people are going to be punished, righteous are going to be justified. If your people are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against them and they return to you and they confess your name and they pray to this place and they cry out to you, hear from heaven and what? Forgive the sin of your people, and bring them back to the land you have given them and their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and it's drought and there's no rain because the people did what? Sin. But they come here and what do they do? They pray and what do they do? They confess their what? Sins and your name. Turn from their sin when they afflict them. Here in heaven and do what? Forgive the sin of your people. Teach them the good way that they should walk, that you gave. Verse 28, how many cases is he going to give? Illustration after illustration. Verse 28, if there's a famine in the land and disease in the land and blight and mildew and locusts and grasshopper, if their enemies are besieging them in the land and if they are sick, if they've got diseases, whatever prayer, I love this next one, verse 29, Whatever prayer is made by any person or your people Israel, knowing their affliction and spreading their hands towards this place, verse 30, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do what? Forgive. Hear from heaven and forgive. You know the heart of everybody. You know the heart of every person that they may fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live. And concerning foreigners who are not Jews, what do you think he says about them? No hope for the foreigners? No. Verse 32, When the foreigner comes from a foreign country like Yemen for your great namesake and your mighty hand, and when they come to your place to pray to your name, hear from heaven your dwelling place, do what the foreigner asks you to do so that all the people in every land on this earth will know your name and fear you and do like your people Israel. When they go out to battle against their enemies, whatever way they go, and when they pray, verse 35, do what? Hear. Verse 36 is a big one. When they sin against you. Why does he think he says when they sin against you? 
He didn't say if they sin against you. What does he say? When. when. Why do you think he says that? He knows it's going to happen. You're exactly right. And that's what the next verse says. When they sin against you because there is no person who does not what? Sin. <laughs> when your anger is against this sin, when they're delivered to their enemies, if they take thought in the foreign land that they've gone and repent and make supplication, saying we have sinned and committed iniquity and acted wickedly, if they return to you with all their heart and all their soul, verse 39, what are you going to do? Hear and forgive. You will hear from heaven and forgive. Now may God, verse 40, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears always attentive to every cry that's offered in this place. Now therefore arise, Lord God, to your resting place here, the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with salvation. O oh, Lord God, don't ever turn your face away. Remember your covenant love that you swore you would always keep to David. What's the purpose of the temple? It's a prayer place. And what kind of prayer? Specifically. Repentance. That's what it's for. Science for repentance. It's a place where sinners can go and cry to God. You don't make excuses for your sin. You don't blame other people for your sin. You don't run away from your sin. You just get down on your face before God and say, God, here's a sinner that needs the forgiveness of the cross. That's what the temple was for. It wasn't just a place for prayer. It was a specific kind of prayer. What kind of prayer? Repentant prayer where people are broken before God, confess their sin with a broken heart, and seek the face of God to be forgiven and healed. Is that not awesome? And when Solomon finished, what happened? Wow, one of my favorite paragraphs in the Bible. What happened when Solomon... Can you imagine he's right here on this platform, he's prayed this prayer, and he finishes? Look what happened in chapter 7. Oh, wow. When Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down out of heaven and the glory of God filled the house. And the priest couldn't even enter because there was so much glory of God filling the house. And so all the people, when they saw the fire come down to heaven, the glory of God filled their house, they all got on their face like this before God wouldn't you love to see that in church? That would not be typical Sunday church now, would it? The glory of God came. His glory filled the house. Everybody got on their face on the ground. I would love to have seen that. It says all the people, not just some. Can you imagine how many thousands of people were there? They're all on the ground with their face to the ground. And what did they do? It must have been interesting singing, Joel, because they sang. Here they are, prostrate on the ground, down on the ground, and they're singing on the ground. And what are they singing? They're worshiping, giving praise to God, and this is what they sang. Truly, God is good. And the covenant love of your cross lasts how long? That's all they could sing. God is so good. God is so good. And the love of His cross never fails and it lasts forever. God is good. The love lasts forever. That's all they could do. And they just kept singing it, celebrating what God. You know what happened? This was revival. And for eight days, <laughs> for eight days, 
with the power of God's presence. They worshiped, adored, praised, and God's spirit was present. And it was an eight-day revival. Verse 10, on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent all the people to their tents and everybody was rejoicing and everybody was what? Happy. I love why it says they were happy. Because of the what? You can probably guess. The goodness. <laughs> because of the goodness of the Lord. And Solomon finished the house and successfully completed everything that he had planned and he sent everybody home. And then you know what he did? He, he got ready to go to bed. But oh, did he have a night. Couldn't sleep like you, Bob. Can you imagine not being sleeping, able to sleep after that? And you know why he couldn't sleep? Because God appeared to him. Wow. God appeared to Solomon that night in a vision. In a vision. And this is what God said to him in that vision. You know, we, we memorize and quote 2 Chronicles 7, 13, and 14 all the time. And we don't even know the context of what it happened in. You've got to read chapter 5 and chapter 6. In chapter 7, before you get to 14, and Solomon's gone to bed, and he has a vision, and this is what happened in his vision. Verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night, and he said to Solomon, I have heard your what? Heard your prayer. And I chose this place for myself. What kind of place is it? It's a prayer place for sinners. If I shut up the heaven... So that there's no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send disease among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. Verse 15, my eyes will always be open to this place and my ears will always listen to the cries from this place because I chose this house for my name to be here forever and my eyes will always be open and my heart, this is God speaking, my heart will always be there. For what? Your prayers. For your Prayers. <laughs> Unbelievable. What I want you just to think about, and we'll uh, just give me about five more minutes or so. I'll, back to verse 14. I'm going to read it again, and then I want you to think about it. Would you listen? Everybody listen? Listen. I want you to listen carefully. Because you're going to answer with me. If my people will. Can you, can you say, if my people will, dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Then... I, God, will what? Dot, dot, dot. Do you catch the if then? Yeah, pray is part of it. You're right. Okay, so four things that thy people had to do. What was the first one? Do you remember the first one? You remember the first one, Nancy? If my people will what? Remember number one? Humble themselves, number one. Number one, if my people will humble themselves. Okay, number two, what? Pray. But it doesn't stop there. What was number three? Seek my face. Seek my face. So if my people called by my name 
will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and what? Repent. Then what will I do? I will hear. I will forgive. I will heal. Now, who's he talking to? My people. My people. God's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people who don't know him. If my people, now who is this? This that he's talking about is what I call the remnant. These are people that have really been born again. They're really filled with the Spirit of God, walk in the Spirit of God, live in the Spirit of God, are led by the Spirit of God. They're hungry for Jesus, thirst for Jesus. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. They follow Jesus. They are really on fire for Jesus. If who? My people. The people. The people that really know God. The people that love God, the people that are full of the Spirit, especially the leaders, those people, they know me. God's saying, I don't expect unbelievers to act like this. I don't expect pretend Christians to act like this. I don't even expect baby Christians to act like this. I'm talking about mature believers who really love me and live for me. That's who I'm talking to. If they will what? Humble themselves. And what? Pray. And what? See my face. And what? Repent. Now I'm going to talk about the exact four opposite. What's the opposite of humility? Pride. What's the opposite of praying? Prayerlessness. What's the opposite of red hot seeking the face of God? Lukewarmness. What's the opposite of repentance? Unrepentance. So you see the contrast? If humble people, praying people, seeking people, and repenting people, then I will. But if on the other hand, they're prideful people, prayerless people, lukewarm people, and unrepentant people, what happens? Nothing happens. What's the key to revival? How does fire come down from heaven and the glory of God fill His house? And we see the cross of Jesus reviving the world. Not until the people of God will humble themselves. Not until the people of God will pray and seek His face and repent. If who? My people. Pastors like me. If I could just get pastors to be humble men and praying men and seeking men and repenting men then. <laughs> well, we're going to actually talk about this. Now, let me tell you what happened on Tuesday night. Let me tell you what happened on Tuesday night, Nancy. When there are 1,500 people in this place, from all these different churches and second chronicles i want you to listen because this is really important second chronicles 714 came alive not just on print this came alive in people's heart for the first time i've ever been at a prayer 2019 2018 keep counting back this is the first time where people as individuals were having personal one-on-one -on -one with god you know the amazing thing? It was like every person in that place was the only person in that place. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're in a group? I was in a group. There are 1,500 people in that place. I felt like I was the only person there because I was having personal one-on-one with God. And what's amazing was everyone was. So there are 1,500 people in that building. They're not worrying about who's to their right and who's to their left. They are encountering the God of the universe with intimate, personal, one-on-one -on -one with God. And what happened with me personally and a lot of people is 2 Chronicles 7.14 came alive in my heart. Not just the words on a page. The words came alive in my soul. And what I began to see, it was so beautiful. I wept the whole time. 
Because I was able to stay in that place and just talk to God and say, God, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to dig into Brian's soul, root out Brian's pride. Kill it. And plant in my soul the humility of Jesus so I will have Jesus' humility living in me. I hate my pride. Kill it. Destroy it. Root it out and plant in my soul the humility of Jesus so I can really be a humble man. Root out my prayerlessness and take the prayerfulness that's in Jesus' heart and plant it in me. Make me a true prayer warrior. Amen? Root out my lukewarmness. Destroy it and plant in me a holy burning fire so I will seek the face of God as a true seeker. And root out my unrepentance. Root it out, root it out, and plant in me a real repentance. I kept saying to God over and over, Lord, I want true humility. I want to be a true prayer warrior. I want to be a true seeker. I want to be a true repenter. And I just kept talking, God, oh, God, I hate my pride. Make me humble. Do whatever it takes. Create in me humility. Make me a true prayer warrior like Pastor Bill. I talked to my mentor, Pastor Bill. He just told me the other day, just honest. He's so honest, he's just telling the truth. And he goes, uh, I, uh, I slept late the other day because I stayed in bed till 4. <laughs> he says, usually God wakes him up between 2 and 3, and he says it burns in his soul so much he has to get out of bed. He can't stay in bed. Because the spirit of prayer is burning in his soul and he gets up at three. I'm looking at Pastor Bill. I said, Pastor Bill, I don't know how to pray. You get up at three? <laughs> Not because it's legalistic or someone tells him to do. The spirit of prayer burns in his soul and he can't stay in bed. You know what happened on Tuesday night? Don was smart enough to get out of the way. And Don just gave Pastor Bill the mic and just sat down. You know what Pastor Bill was? Pastor Bill was Pastor Bill. You know, when I was watching him, you know what God spoke to my heart? God will talk to you if you listen. God spoke to my heart and made me weep because what he said to my heart was hours and 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 years and years and years and years of fasting and praying by Pastor Bill and seeking your face, a real prayer warrior. And God answered those prayers and manifested Christ through him. And anyone who was willing to listen was profoundly affected. He was an unbelievable manifestation of what God was doing because he's a prayer warrior. Most of us just don't know how to pray. I've just been asking God, teach me to pray, please. I want to really be a humble man. Don't you? Don't you want? I want to really be a humble man. I want to learn how to pray. Not man-made prayer. I need Holy Spirit prayer fire. I want to be a true seeker. I can't stand to be lukewarm anymore. Can you? And you know where I'm really failing? So I want you all to listen where I'm really failing. God showed me, he said, when you met Pastor Bill, you were in about uh, second or third grade in the school of prayer. And now you've made it up to eighth grade because you're finally learning to pray. You know what he told me on Tuesday night? <laughs> He told me I was still in kindergarten in the school of repentance. Wow, I was so humble. I said to the Lord, I said, I don't know how to repent. 
Because I'm not a very good repenter. You know when revival comes? There's one sentence, and you won't forget this one. When the real remnant has real repentance, it results in real revival. Can I say it again? When the real remnant has real repentance, it will result in real revival. Why do you think churches don't know how to repent? Because the pastors don't know how to. How can pastors teach people to repent when they don't repent? They really don't, Nancy. I need you laugh. Pastors are the worst repenters. They do not know what it is to have a broken heart and really repent before God. I was so convicted Tuesday night. So that I'm just so immature in my repentance. I need the school of prayer, right? I've been talking to Jesus and Father and the Holy Spirit, and I said, enroll me. <laughs> enroll me in the class of real repentance in the school of prayer so that Jesus, my Father, and the Holy Spirit can teach me how to repent. I've got a long way to go. Amen. You do too, Nancy. But I want it because those four are so real. And that's why I keep saying true. I want real humility. I want to be a real prayer warrior. I want real seeking and real repentance. I've been telling the Lord that all week long. I said, give me true humility. Make me a true prayer warrior. Make me a true seeker. And make me a true repenter. And so what we're going to do in the coming weeks is we're going to go through all four. We're going to spend time here. Because I don't want it just for me. I want it for you. I want it for all of us. So uh, we're going to spend the next weeks and we're going to talk about what is true humility and how's God going to do that in that heart of ours. <laughs> what is true prayer? How's God make us a true prayer warrior? How does God make us true seekers? How does that happen? And how does God make us true repenters? Because if that happens, what's going to happen? Real revival. If my people will, then what? I will. God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit. He wants His love. Like you said, Nancy, I just can't stand it. He wants to set you free. So alcohol has no place in your heart and you'll be free to be the beautiful woman God created you to be. It's going to happen. I know it. You will be free. You will. You will, Nancy. I can see it in my mind's eye. You know what I'm looking forward to, Nancy? I'm looking forward to the day where you'll be holding some girl's hand and you'll be saying, Joanne, let me tell you. Joanne, let me tell you about when alcohol ruled my life. But let me tell you how it doesn't anymore and how God changed me. And if he changed me, Joanne, he can change you too. Amen? Amen, I believe that. I believe it. God's that's what's going to happen. I believe it. That's why you're here today. God's going to do it. But God wants to do all of us, and He wants to teach us. He wants to teach us how to be humble people. He wants to teach us how to be praying people. He wants to teach us how to be seeking people. And He wants to teach us how to be repentant people. Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent from their sin, then... I will. And oh, I love thinking about that. I was just so, I was overjoyed on Tuesday night, Joel, because I thought about how could I fill in the blank? Then I will. Wow.
And I, I started dreaming about what God would do. I was dreaming about y'all. I was dreaming about thousands of homeless people delivered from their addictions and set free and on fire for the Lord and new in Christ. Amen. Amen. Just dreaming about our family members who've been dead for so long, alive in Christ and filled with his glory. The prodigals coming home to Jesus. Hallelujah. Just dream, dream, dream. Then I will, then I will. Fill in the blank. Oh, what God will do when he hears, forgives, and heals. There's just no end to it. So we're praying that God's going to show us in these coming weeks how 2 Chronicles 7.14 can come alive. Come alive inside your soul. Personally. One-on-one. It's not good enough for it just to be in one ear and out the other, is it? I don't want it just on a page. That was one of the first times ever in my life I felt on Tuesday night that word was beginning to come alive in my soul. That's so different, isn't it? When the Word of God begins to come alive. Because that means it's changing you. That means it's changing you. God is going to perform the greatest awakening in history. I think many of us may live to see it. May live to see it. Not just in Raleigh, but all over the world. And this awakening is going to knock your socks off. It's going to be just as great as what I read when fire came down out of heaven and filled the glory, filled the house. Amen? So let me pray. I will shut up. Father, we do ask and seek and knock in Jesus' name that 2 Chronicles 7.14 will come alive in our heart. Make us true humility, truly humble people, true prayer warriors, true seekers, and true repenters. Do it in a supernatural way by the power of the Holy Spirit through the love of the cross in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.